Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever. Be with us. Speak to us. Lord, I am your servant. I pray that you would use my words. It's not about me. It's about you. Be with your people. I pray that they would be encouraged and lifted up and that all together we would praise your name, that we would experience your presence, your delight, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, as I mentioned, I was thinking about what to preach on, and I came up with the idea of what theologians have called the immutability of God. And immutability is a fancy word for uh, unchanging. And theologians like very big fancy words, uh, probably because most of this was all started back in the 1700s, etc., when people still spoke Latin. And so you get wonderful theological words like perspicuity. What does perspicuity mean? Clarity. Uh, And so we say the scripture is perspicacious, uh, which means you can understand it easily. Um, But uh, in thinking about uh, the immutability of God, the idea that God does not change, I was thinking about um, uh, just something came to mind, and I thought about superheroes. When I was a kid, I loved Superman best, but I wanted to be Batman. Anyone know why? Because I can be Batman. I knew that Superman was beyond me. Uh, You can't go out and train and and study and become Superman. Uh, But Batman, I had a way. Um, I was saving up my little Easter eggs to build a belt, um, things like that. Um, And Stan Lee had a similar idea in uh, coming up with Spider-Man. He had been writing for comic books for years and felt like he didn't identify with many or any of his characters and he said this in an an article he wrote when the time came for me to create a teenaged hero for Marvel Comics I decided to depict him as a bumbling real life teenager who by some miracle had acquired a superpower he'd have to be bewildered insecure inept ungainly and often out of step with those around him he'd be my kind of teenager a loser, a schlep. I know if I had gotten superpower when I was a teenager, the only change would be I'd simply become a superpowered schlep. (laughs) Now, why do I start this? Um, I could probably talk about this a lot longer than I'd like to admit, but in thinking about God and thinking about how we approach God, we tend to want something that we can relate to. So Spider-Man became such a popular figure Because kids look at him and say, he's a lot like me. Now, it might sound silly, but in the same way, we often tend to prefer a God that we can relate to. Uh, And on one hand, we do. I don't want to say that we can't relate to Jesus. The scriptures are clear that Jesus became one of us, that uh, he took on the same, at least similar sufferings, uh, yet without sin. But when it comes to God in his eternity, uh, there's something wrong with trying to tweak God to make him more relatable. We saw this uh, in Exodus, where the Israelites are worshiping God at the foot of the mountain, 
in the presence of God, where God is present on a mountain in thunder and fire. And Moses went there, and it's been a month. It's been 40 days. Uh, They can see God, and they turn to, um, to Aaron and say, can you make us a little cow that we can... We can have right here, and they throw their little party, and they have a relatable God, one that they can look at, one they can touch, one that doesn't freak them out every time they look in his direction or speak to them. Uh, And they ended up with a God that is easier to handle. Of course, it wasn't their God, uh, and of course, uh, it didn't help them. And we may not do this as brazenly as the Israelites, but we may sometimes try to nudge God in that direction. We may try to kind of figure out how things work, and we might subtly come up with other ideas. Uh, One recent movement uh, is something that I have my students read about, uh, a movement called open theism. And I won't spend a long time on this, but basically what happened was this. You had a group of people who reflected on uh, evil in the world and they reflected on how could all of this evil be going on if God is fully in control. And the solution was this. Well, he's not fully in control. Uh, God gave up his knowledge and he gave up his control of the future. And God is experiencing along with us And he has a really good guess about what comes next because he knows the present fully. But does he know fully what's going to happen next? No. And does he know uh, whether or not you're going to become a Christian? No. Does he know how wars will end? Maybe, probably not. Uh, And in the end, uh, my students who were nodding their head at the beginning saying, this sounds good, uh, start gaping in horror as the writer who's uh, bringing out this idea says things like, uh, when we read the word fulfilled in scripture, it doesn't mean that God knew what was going to happen and he predicted it. It just means, hey, neat, it happened that way. So the God they end up with is a little bit like our God, but one that changes, one that adapts one that is really kind of not quite helpless, but certainly not able to help you completely in every situation. Uh, He can't give you absolute assurances uh, because he doesn't know. Now, on the other side of all of this, and it's something I also have my students read, you have the idea of an unchanging God with Aristotle. Uh, Aristotle had bits of truth, and uh, he, of course, lived a few hundred years before uh, Jesus came. Uh, And some some of the medieval scholars wanted to say he was kind of a pre-Christian. I'm not sure, sure we can go that far, but he did have some good thoughts, and he thought about, okay, all this business about Zeus, Apollo, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But there had to be someone who got it all started. And so Aristotle reasoned that there had to be someone at the beginning, and he called that uh, person at the beginning God, that this God uh, was eternal, that this God was 
unchanging. And God for Aristotle was completely good and unchangeably so. Sounds pretty good until uh, you get to his definition of good, and it helps to know Aristotle was a philosopher. What do philosophers do? Uh, they think. What's the best thing a person can be doing, according to Aristotle? Thinking. Well, Aristotle reasons, if we're in that state sometimes, God is always in that state. And so what is God doing all the time? He's thinking. And he's thinking about the best possible thing, which is thinking. And so you have a perfect philosopher's God who is thinking about thinking for all eternity. Uh, and if that sounds boring to you, I think it is. Uh, for Aristotle, for God to even think about you for a moment would take God out of that perfection and drag him down. And for Aristotle, that one God was not the one who created uh, and had no relationship with us whatsoever. Uh, now again, most of you have probably not thought of God like that, as completely extracted, completely, totally distant, but I suspect that most of us or all of us have had moments where we've thought of God as cold and distant, um, especially if you've been someone who's wrestled with the idea of God electing, that is, God choosing us before time began. Uh, sometimes there's this idea that, that God is kind of coldly, uh, in a cold, calculating way, saying, yeah, that's going to happen. I'm going to choose them. I'm going to choose them. And then just kind of lets it all happen uh, without any excitement, without any personal interaction. Well, what does the Bible tell us? Neither of these visions of God is true. God neither changes along with us, nor is he so far removed that he can't even bear to look at his creation. And of course, God is completely good. Uh, God is completely personal. But God is not God is not someone who doesn't know what's going to happen next, and he's not someone who is cold and detached. Instead, this is not a, you know, it might feel like it. You might think, boy, I feel like I'm in philosophy class. Uh, but this is a real and personal thing. And one reason why I decided to preach on this is as we look at the issue of how people change, uh, we're told over and over again in the book and in Todd's preaching, look to Christ, look to God. And in order to relate to God, we need to understand him better. God is unchanging. Uh, the theological term, again, is God is immutable. Uh, West, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, number four, says this, What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. 
In this definition in the scriptures we've read, we get a few themes. One is that God doesn't change. The other is that God is eternal, uh, which if I had more time, I'd love to talk more about that. But if you can come to understand that God is not bound up in time, uh, for me, it makes it much easier to understand. Uh, if God is going through time with us, then open theism makes a lot of sense. But if God is outside time, if God is looking at all of history, and to him there's really no difference in looking at the past, looking at the present, looking at the future, and he can come in to any point and interact, uh, one thing that does for me is it, it blows my mind. Uh, another is it helps me understand that uh, I really don't understand God. He's told me some things about him, but I really don't understand how this works. And I can quote the confession, uh, the catechism. I can give you theological terms, but in the end, God is beyond our understanding. But there are things that God does tell us, and we must focus on those. And so we read in our text that God doesn't change. Uh, Numbers 23, 19, a very simple statement. God is not man. God is not a man. He's not like us. Malachi 3, verse 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. And we'll look at the second half of that line in a little bit. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And then James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And some have pointed out that when you read the scriptures, it sounds like God does change. Uh, you look at Genesis 6 and what happens. God looks at people and he says, these people are a mess. I need to get rid of them. Uh, I regret that I made humanity. Um, now, there are two ways to look at that. One is that God is surprised, that he's shocked at what's happened with humanity. The other is that he totally knows what's going on and that he's talking to us in a way that we understand. And I'd submit that that's what's going on. That any time you get that kind of uh, language where God uh, seems to change his mind, uh, Genesis 6 with the flood, uh, Abraham and Isaac, uh, God stays Abraham's hand as he's about to stab Isaac. Did God know that was going to happen? Some would say, no, he didn't. He made that up on the spot. I would say, no, he knew. And he put the ram there. And he knew that the ram signified Jesus coming. Uh, and when we read the clear passage, the clearest statements on this, we read, for I, the Lord, do not change. Now, what does that mean? God doesn't change. He doesn't change in what he is, and he doesn't change in who he is. That is, theologians talk about God doesn't change in his essence. What that means is uh, what God is. Uh, he is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. He doesn't ever lessen. He doesn't wear out. He doesn't grow old and then die. 
Uh, he doesn't fade. On the other side, he actually doesn't learn new things or uh, become stronger. He is as strong as he could be. How does that work? I have no idea. Because I also have to say, when I read the scriptures, I see that God is creative. And so you don't end up with Aristotle's God where everything is sort of realized and there's nothing new. God is infinitely creative. And uh, whatever it means to say this, there was a, a time before creation when God hadn't created and he decided, I'm going to create. It's not a necessary playing out of something that had to happen. It was God, out of his free choice, deciding, I want to create. The other side is that God doesn't change in his character. His goodness doesn't change. Living in our day and age, you can get the idea that what is good is determined by uh, whichever party is in control, that uh, questions of morality are settled by a vote and uh, or an appointment of a judge or something like that. God's goodness doesn't change because God is good. God's lovingness doesn't change because God is love. Uh, God's righteousness never diminishes. He never has a moment of weakness. Uh, he never uh, has a moment where uh, he loses control. Uh, he never grows weary. He never forgets. God's character is always the same. And out of that, I think you can also say God's plan doesn't change. Uh, because God doesn't change, because he knows what he's doing, uh, he doesn't adjust his ultimate plan. He knows how it's all going to end. He, uh, he's numbered all of the hairs on our heads. Uh, he knows when they're going to fall out or when they fell, fell out. Uh, 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 he knows all those things. And uh, his ultimate plan never changes. Does that mean he doesn't answer prayer? No. Those are part of his plan. Does it mean that he doesn't have compassion for us because he says, yeah, you're suffering now, but I know better things are coming? No, he has compassion, but he also knows better things are coming. Uh, his ultimate joy, his ultimate peace within the Trinity is never, uh, never lessened. Now, I want to give you two ways... Uh, very clearly where this is good news. Because God is unchanging, it means in his interactions with us, he doesn't change. And to use some of Pastor Todd's words from last week, that means God will not lose his cool and wig out. Uh, which is to say, God has promised us mercy. He will not give you something different. If you come to him in faith, you can be absolutely assured that God is going to show you mercy. Numbers 23. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Uh, when Balaam was trying to curse the Israelites for the pagan king, God said, no, 
I keep my promises. Uh, in Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. What good news is that? That because God doesn't change, he's not going to look at you one day and say, you blew it. That was it. I'm tired of you. I'm moving on. And I know for some of you, you have heard things like that. Um, maybe from family. Maybe from, uh, maybe from a boss. Maybe from uh, someone you truly loved. Uh, we hear things like that. And we get tempted to think that God is that way. We get tempted to think that God is just like the person who told me, I'm so sick of you. I'm out of here. But God will never do that. Why? He doesn't change. He made a promise. And Hebrews 6 says that he made an oath based on, un, uh, verse 18, two unchangeable things. Which two unchangeable things? Who God is and his word. Uh, how certain is God that he's going to save you? As certain as who he is. It's bad grammar, but uh, you get the idea. Because God is who he is, God will not change his mind. God will not take his mercy from you. God will not get tired of you and leave you. And my notes are mixed up. That's why I have numbers on the top. Um, now, what's the other side of this? Because God is who he is, because we know that God will keep his promises, we know that we can trust in him. Uh, because of what we've been through, we might have difficulty trusting God. Uh, again, some of us have been through things that have been tremendously hurtful. And when we are let down, we have a tendency to build up defenses. We have a tendency to protect our hearts. And maybe you've seen that in your relationships. Maybe you've seen it with a husband or wife or brother or sister or deep, dear friend. Uh, and maybe when it comes to relating to God, you relate to God this way. God, I totally believe that you died for me and I totally believe that you're going to raise me from the dead. But I don't quite trust that you've got the best in mind for me and I don't quite trust that I can let go of all the control. I think I'm going to hedge my bets. Uh, I think I'm going to keep one hand on the on the wheel. In order to change, we have to be able to let go of that. Uh, and so, the connection of uh, this sermon to the other sermons, we can change because God doesn't. Uh, going back again to Hebrews 6, 19 and 20, God has 
made his oath. And verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We can trust God because he is trustworthy. And that means we can completely and totally surrender. We can let down our guard. We can trust God's intentions. Uh, We can know that he does have our best in mind. Does that mean that it's always going to be easy? No. Uh, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. God will walk through that with us. Um, Doesn't mean he's going to keep us out of it. Now what does Jesus himself say? Uh, Matthew 16, 24 and following. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. What Jesus asks of us, what what he commands us to do, is to lay down our life. Not just follow him from a distance, not just uh, give him part of ourselves, but lay down all of ourselves, all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our fears. And how can we do this if we don't trust Jesus' intentions, if we don't trust who he is? Now, I'm not saying, by the way, that we need perfect faith. Uh, We don't. Um, I am saying that we need to have a real personal trust of Jesus as our Savior and as one who delights in us and as one who is bringing us into better places. Uh, In terms of how we can change, we can change if we trust that God is good, that he has our best in mind, that he won't lead us astray, that he won't change his mind or get tired of us. And in the end, our comfort is this, Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Because God is who he is, Because we know he has promised that he is going to bring us to that place of completion, to the new heavens and the new earth, into his presence fully, we can follow him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. We won't do it perfectly, of course, uh, but we can lay down our life and follow Jesus. And in that, we can do the, the work of of seeking to change and of gazing at Christ, of looking to him. Now, if you're someone who's 
having difficulty with this, I, I encourage you, go before your loving Heavenly Father, before your Lord Jesus, and confess and ask for strength. Uh, this is not something any of us do perfectly. Uh, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But God will never leave you nor forsake you. And you might be, feel afraid that you're not going to make it. He will carry you. He will not change. You might feel that you're too sinful. He forgave that sin to anyone who confesses to him. And God has promised, again, promised on himself that you will be saved. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. I pray that you work in us. Lord, in those areas where we have trouble handing things over to you, in there, those areas where we have trouble trusting you, help us to gaze at you, to remember that you do not change, that you are always good, that you are always loving, that you are always kind, that you are always doing what is right and best. Give us comfort in the difficult times as we wait to see all this played out. Give us the ability to lay down our defenses and to come to you. And fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.